begin with the obvious before we started you said this was your emo stage what does that look like for you just emotional right now a lot has gone on in the past week with basketball so hey everyone welcome to another edition of the ball street journal podcast special edition of the podcast today usually just me and Ashant, but now we got a special guest with us today rohit is back after a long time what's up dude hey dude Thanks for having me on. I'm glad Nishant's still talking to me after uh, leaving Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you knew it was uh, Nishant was pissed when he named his fantasy team this year. Mohan sucks, which is uh, for all the listeners, Rohit's last name. <laughs> yeah, no, sometimes sometimes you got to know when to leave and when to quit. <laughs> well, the, rea- the reality is now that you're gone, I feel like now I'm taking all the losses that you would have gotten. So in some ways... Oh. <laughs> In in some ways, it was good having you around for a while. Dude, no, I just I was like a lightning rod, just absorbed all the injuries and the bad luck, you know, together. So I'm I feel at peace well, now. I, mean, I watch you... I watch Red Zone on Sundays, you know, just like I'm I'm as happy as Scott Hansen is, you know. It's good. <laughs> Seven hours. Well, all right. Anyways, let's get back to basketball. <laughs> so of course, Nishan and I recorded a Eastern Conference preview pod last week, last Sunday, and we made some predictions on that pod. I think. At the end, we said, where's Dame going to go and when? And I believe, Nishan, correct me if I was wrong, but we both predicted Miami. Yep. And I think I, uh, you said during the season, like early on, and I might have said like right before training camp starts or during training camp. Well, we both were wrong. He, of course, didn't go to the Miami Heat. And he's a Milwaukee Buck now. For The trade was for Drew Holiday, uh, a 2029 pick, first-round pick, unprotected swaps. Aiton went to uh, Portland. Nurkic went to uh, Phoenix. So that trade is done. But we, we got to attack this trade in a couple of angles. I think the first thing, and Roth, I'll start with you. What did you think about Dame just all these years? So he was in the Anthony Davis draft, right? 2012, he was the sixth pick in that draft by Portland. Had one conference finals run in 2019. That's as far as Portland got. But they got swept in the conference finals. And maybe that was just one of those fluke years. But what did you just think about Dame? all these years staying loyal to Portland and just waiting this long to ask out. Yeah, I mean, it's a st- topic I have very strong feelings about. I mean, I'm, <laughs> as for those those of you who listen to the pod, I mean, you probably know I'm a LeBron fan and, you know, I'm all about the player empowerment. Nishant and I, like, differ <laughs> uh, very, very significantly on that view. Um, I mean, Dame's a great player. And, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, try, to, you try to win a championship with a team you're drafted by. I mean, no, no doubt that's the way you start. But I feel like what makes this so, uh, you know, such a dramatic shift that Dame is leaving is that like he's for years, he's always been like, I'm the loyal guy. I'm never leaving Portland. You know, this is where I want to win a championship. And he's stuck with some really, really bad teams over the years. And, you know, he's kind of waited for management to put a team around him and they never did. Um, I think what makes this so dramatic, I think, is because he yeah he asked out so dramatically to one team after saying all of that for so long, for over a decade, kind of sticking with one team and saying that. And then, you know, now, and then having very strict demands, well, hey, I want to go to one team, I want to go to Miami, and I, like, you know, want to be in a position to win a chip. It was just such a dramatic shift from where what his previous stance was, and there was no, like, you know, 
gradual work up towards this. There have been rumors swirling about Dame for a long time. You know, as Ajay and I know the Lakers rumors. There's been a lot of different rumors over the years. I think it was always like he would come close to asking out, but then he'll just be like, nah, I, I think I'll just stay. And then yeah. he'll take those extensions. He'll take those extensions a for a lot of money. And then, you know, he'll he'll ball out for certain periods of time. And, you know, when you see Dame in the playoffs, I mean, he's been extremely entertaining to watch, whether it was the bubble playoffs or, you know, a couple of the runs he's had. I mean, the one with the the, the elimination on a buzzer beater of uh, the, the Thunder ending the Paul George, uh, Russell Westbrook uh, era there i mean he's had some oh, gr- yeah. he's had yeah. some great signature moments in portland and i mean like uh but he hasn't like really elevated himself in that echelon of kind of being like you know an all-time great he's like, definitely a gener- like a one of the best point guards of our generation uh of this of this decade but um he's to really get to that other level he hasn't been in a position to really win a championship ever and that's not entirely his fault so i've been support i'm totally in support of this move by dame i just think yeah, he set himself up for failure by all his rhetoric in the past. And now it's, you know, now that he completely switched to the other side of things, it makes it, uh, you know, he's going to get a lot of, uh, he's going to get a lot of heat from the other side, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about where he ended up in a little bit. But Nishan, what did you think about how Dame approached this? So I think Mohan and I have had, uh, sorry, Rohit and I have had a lot of uh, conflict <laughs> about uh, loyalty and what loyalty means in sports. Um and and the player empowerment era and i think we come from it from a different perspective i think there is one camp uh which is you know you are a, a fan of a player and so you want the excellence of a player you believe that championships are how you get you know uh put into the collective memory of most nba fans and then that there's the other camp that says like you are a fan of a team and you ride with that team and the team's got those players and you want those players to stay and yeah, you might win less chips, but those chips might be meaning- more meaningful. I don't think either camp is wrong, except for the one that Rohit believes in, of course. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think, I think you know, for Dame in specific, I think what I hated about the what I hate about the um, player empowerment era is when the player asks out when it's not necessarily the best thing for the team. And that's where I defer on the Dame part because I think this is the best move for both the player and the team was to get yeah. out of that situation. I think Dame had put time. in his time yeah. and I, I think he couldn't get anything else more there. And I think as a franchise, if Portland had kept him, uh, it would have been detrimental to them. And thinking about loyalty, I mean, Dame, it's funny enough, like now news comes out that Dame, if he said, you can't get me to the heat, then I want to stay, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So in some and they, they said no. And, yeah. yeah, in some ways he wanted to still stay loyal. So um, I, I I do like I, I think it was okay for Dame to ask out. I think this was the appropriate time. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think he should have asked out five years ago? What like do you think this is the right time? What would you have done if you were in his shoes? Ajay, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, I think this is a a little late for me just because. So the thing about Dame is, yeah, it's his 11th year, but the thing is he was a four-year player in college. So he is 33 now, um, going on 34. He didn't start at like 19, like most people, like coming out of college now, like the one and duds. Uh, and I think the thing for him was 2019 was the peak, right? Conference finals run. And then the next year, they had that bubble run. And... Well, I can't really call it a run, but like those eight games, he killed it in the bubble. Portland, as uh, Mohan and I know, the we terif- most dangerous, we were terrified most, of him. Da- yeah. <laughs> most dangerous number eight seed in history, as people in the media said. Until the heat. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, but I think that that after that bubble run, we saw that year that that off season Harden asked out, and I think that's what Dame should have made his move then too. Um, he would have been entering his ninth season. He's just thirty, thirty one then, and I think it would have been great to move on then because he saw like conference finals run was kind of their the peak of that Portland team. Um, him and McCollum they kind of ran their course. And I think I heard of this on Zach Lowe's pod too, where it's just maybe they should have looked to move McCollum earlier. Once they saw like two small guards isn't really going to cut it. And you can't just build a team like that. And I would have loved to see Dave move a little before that. And that way, the other thing with this trade is he still has four or five, four years left on this deal. So he didn't have any leverage because he can't even thread. There's no threat of free agencies coming up and I can move on to another team. So whoever was going to trade him, they knew they had him for four years under contract. If he requested a trade before signing this last extension, he could have at least had that for leverage. But we knew he wasn't going to do that because he wanted a 10-year veteran bonus, essentially, right? He yeah, gets a bigger yeah. portion I mean, of the cap. And yeah, he, he, exactly. No, he, he, it was obvious that, yeah, he wanted that security. He wanted that money, and he definitely got it. But I think that's the thing that we, uh, me and maybe Roth had sometimes where he claimed that he wanted to win. And he said, yeah, he always said, I wanted to win in Portland. But, you know, it's hard to make that proclamation that I want to win at all costs, but then take those kind of exactly, taking extensions. The money. I think my view is on this is like, you know, I think going into there's like we can look at some different superstars and when they've left their teams and kind of when they've decided to do so. You know, it's like and what what what, what their expect and looking at their individual expectations too. obviously the first one I'll go to is LeBron with the first run in Cleveland. You know, he stayed there. You know, he got drafted there and he went year after year to the you know, he's been to, he went to the NBA finals a few times, and then came short in the conference finals many times in the in the last few years. Couldn't give, get over that Celtics team. But if someone like, you know, LeBron stayed longer and they tried to put pieces around him i just don't think they had enough firepower to get over the celtics at that time in the east and he needed to kind of form his own super team and he went to the heat took his flack for it but then won his championships and then the narrative changed over time and it taught him how to win a championship that was kind of you know with him regardless of what would have happened um you know that's kind of he would have taken flack for it and you know he but he i think it was a necessary group part of growth in his career and then, you know, if you look at somebody like, you know, Kevin Durant is another great example. So, I mean, see, so I'm going to compare Dame and Kevin Durant's situation because there's a lot more parallels there. I think, you know, Kevin Durant was drafted by OKC. If you remember early in his career, he very much was actually the stalwart of loyalty. You know, he was very much committed to the Oklahoma City Thunder. He had a couple stars around him. The, the organization was committed to them winning things. And, you know, he was he never talked about leaving, you know, at least for the first like six seven years of his career you never heard any any rumors about him leaving and he was very content in okc but then it changed very dramatically when he wanted to leave and the timing he left was you know with the you know after losing to a a 73 and 9 team in the conference final and joining that team and that's you know that's 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 kind of his legacy since then and that stuck with him dame has kind of like you know so at least kevin durant was on a competitive team that was making the playoffs and had a legitimate chance of potentially winning it all dame has like not even been in the running for running for the play in the last few years you know especially this last year they like shut him down early because he just they weren't even competing for a playing spot so he had to leave i mean i think i'm very glad that he like decided to leave and really put some real expectations on himself but you know the west is competitive i think the west has you know not every team is going to win a championship in the west you know and you're not every team is going to be realistically competing for a championship in the west so you know either if he joined some team out here or or went out east i think that was kind of 
the move, and I'm sure he had conversations with, you know, people in the off season. Talked about talked with other stars. Talked with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler probably lost the bet that Dame was coming there and and had to do the emo <laughs> the, the emo look at the post game presser. So it's like you know, uh, I think Dame. It's it's a little late, but I think I'm glad he came came to the realization because I think this situation he's he has he's stuck he's not going anywhere and i think i mean he needed to go somewhere with real expectations it's time. yeah it's time yeah. it's a little late but it's time <laughs> and every situation yeah, I mean, is different I, th- I think you hit on a good point uh just one last before we move on it was the whole with the sitting out and that's where i think unfortunately for dame he was the we talk about teams not being loyal and but I, I have, when I read that story, basically the GM told Dame to sit out the last 10 games of the season uh, with a quote-unquote calf injury um, and so that that way Portland can improve its odds of getting a better pick. And they, the GM basically told him, we'll then use that pick to get you help. Um, I, I think they didn't anticipate that pick becoming Scoot Henderson, so they ended up not wanting to trade it. But we see what that, that happened for Dame. Like, he sat out games. They told him they'd get him help. And then they, they just went back on it. So I know we sometimes a lot of the media... And I think some players overdo it. Like, what we're seeing with James Harden now. I think that's, like, the worst case example. But I think sometimes players do need to look out for themselves. Because then when teams, like, make promises like that. Like, we'll get you a player with this pick. Sit out a game. Or sit out 10 games. And then they don't. I think that's where you, you know players have to do look do look out for themselves. Yeah, I mean loyalty um, goes both ways. You know, like I think when I expect loyalty from a player, there is some expectation of loyalty from a franchise. Now, you know this this unique situation is that Portland had the sixth best odds to get in, you know, get into a lottery or to get a lottery pick, and they yeah. they just got lucky that it was the third overall pick. Yeah, lucky or unlucky, right? If they were the first or second pick, chances are that yeah. you know they either can trade it or they draft someone. That can play alongside, yeah. and the, and the fact that it became the scoot felt the three when we thought he was going to go two. Exactly. So, um, but I think now this this is all done. The Dame era in Portland is over, um, and of course, Nishan, we we did a whole Eastern Conference preview, but that's all kind of changed, especially at the top. So now Dame is a Milwaukee Buck. They didn't lose too much in terms of they lost Drew. But Dame basically is taking his spot, and they lost Grayson Allen, but they always, they still kept Middleton, they still kept Lopez. So you, you're looking at a starting lineup of Dame, Pat Connaughton, Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez on a team that finished as the number one seed in the East last year. Granted, they lost in uh, five games in the first round, and I think that's why they needed to make this trade. Um, but bro, did, did, would you consider the Bucks the favorite now in the East? Um, I'd say so. I mean, the Celtics are doing a lot of great moves, and I mean, I, I, like, I, I sad to admit, I'm like, I'm very annoyed at how good of an off season the Celtics are having. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think they should be favorites in the East. I think it'll, but it'll be, it'll come down to them and the Celtics. I mean, I think they're both right there at the top. So it should be a very competitive East at the top, like you said, and it, it should be really interesting. Um, fascinating thing about you know, like, yeah, we can. I think we want to talk a little bit about like the Bucks, quote unquote, fail, uh, not failure of a playoff run. But it's yeah. crazy to me. The one thing I've noticed in the NBA over and over again, I mean, it, it kind of feeds into Giannis's point a little bit. It's like 
not exactly to his message that he was going for. I don't necessarily agree with that. If you have expectations to be the number one seed, you need to, you know, you live up to them. Whether you have ex- whether you have injuries or other things, that's a different issue. But like, you know, you had a certain expectation, you didn't meet that, and you failed at meeting that expectation, and it's a failure in that right. Even if it's not a failure of your career or a failure of your work ethic or what you stand for as a person, which is what Giannis was trying to get at. Um, the interesting thing is like when these teams that have high expectations underachieve is when these big moves in the NBA tend to happen, like the seventy three and nine. Warriors not winning a championship, or the with Kevin Durant, you know, with the the, the war, uh, sorry, with the Thunder not making it to the finals that year. That's when these big moves happen, and it's interesting how the Bucks underachieving, you know, turned into a it wasn't a failure for Giannis, and it actually ended up, you know, allowing them to have the justification to make this move and made the ownership hungry enough to go chase this move. You know, so it's pretty interesting to me because, yeah, they won a championship just a couple of years ago, and now they're already kind of making these major. Uh, roster retools. So credit to the Bucks for you know being hungry enough to make that kind of move and go out on a limb and pick up someone like Dame. Um, but yeah, it's 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 fascinating to me how these moves you know like always happen after a team tends to seems like they underachieve in some way. Yeah, for sure. What what about you, Nishan? What do you think about these new look Bucks? I mean, I think uh, we I think we both have the Celtics and the Bucks. Bucks is like the top two teams, maybe maybe interchangeably. I just think that the chasm between them and everyone else is so much bigger now. Like, I think the East is super yeah. front-loaded, where I, it's hard for me to really imagine, and I guess it was hard for me to imagine last year, too, like a team like the Heat coming in. Like, I can't see any team outside the Bucks and the Celtics to make the, barring, obviously, injuries, but to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, I would be shocked if it's not those two teams playing each other. Um, yeah. And... I, I, you know, it, I think I think that um, the difference between the two teams now, um, the Celtics and the Bucks, is just the health and in um, age. I mean, overall, the Lake, the, the the Celtics are a much younger team and hope and have had a lot more fortune in, in health perspective than the Bucks have. Can the Bucks get there healthy? Um, but they filled a huge need for themselves. I think I think Drew losing Drew Holiday is going to affect their their defense, which has been towards the top of the NBA for many years now. And I think it's going to take a dip. But they really never had a guy, you know, that could go out there and get buckets at the end of games. We've seen how teams with a center struggle or something with a big guy really struggle in the playoffs if they don't have a ball handler. Like yes. Jokic was amazing this last year, but they needed Murray sometimes. They just needed Murray to go get a bucket or two to just help in like those, you know, slogs of five minutes left in the fourth quarter and like your your offense is just going through a rut. And so I think they got that now. So I think the playoffs, if Dame shows up as Dame, I think I think the Bucks are gonna be hard to beat. My thing is, I mean, I thought that like Middleton kind of is that guy sometimes, and Middleton's injuries kind of like you know help, hurt the Bucks. Exactly. Year. Middleton kind of yeah. filled that void in the past. I mean, he's not at the level, obviously not at the level of Dame. For like you know when Dame gets hot and Dame takes over, it's a different level. But Middleton did, did serve that role of getting those like you know difficult mid range buckets when you needed it late in games. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see whether yeah exactly upgrading at you know the, that clutch scoring position is going to hurt uh, and losing something on defense from Drew Holiday is going to hurt them and whether the revenge whether Drew Holiday you know who wanted to stay with the revenge factor on the Celtics is going to you know affect <laughs> things. The Celtics really really tried to invest a lot on defense this off season you know so um, we'll see. I mean I think um, I think it's going to be close but the Celtics have done a lot. I'm really an- annoyed at how good they've made their roster. <laughs> it's like they, I'm like. I hate to say it, but like, yeah, their t- team is—they've done re- some really good fixes to their team. Let, let's let's quickly unpack what happened with the Celtics, and then we could just take a moment to say whether we think it was like a plus or a minus. So, 
So from their starting lineup, they lost Marcus Smart. They lost uh, Rob. I guess Robert Williams was starting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For the most part, that's that. Those were their two starters that they lost this year because Horford was still there. Brown and Tatum are still there. They added KP. Kristaps yep. uh, Porzingis is a big guy. They lost. They lost Grant Williams. They lost Robert, who's a, who's you know um, at least two years ago was a rotation player. They lost Robert Williams. Um, and so they had a lot of minuses on like their identity, like the defensive identity of their team as well. But I think picking up Drew Holiday really helped them out in that remark. And 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 now they you know they also have Derek White. So I think they've got a pretty solid team. Do you guys think overall it was a plus offseason, a neutral offseason, a minus offseason? What do you think? I, I think it's a plus for the playoffs. Um, so I think that what happened with this team said we were just talking about teams that maximize their potential and running into walls, right? We saw the Celtics. Yep, they made those finals in 2022, but then the Warriors were just a better team. And the major hurdle in that series was their offense got stagnant and they just didn't know how to vary up their offense. Then last year, we saw Tatum go up the level and Brown go up a level two, and we thought, okay, they fixed their offensive issues. But then in the playoffs, what happened was when they ran into, well, at one point, the Sixers, they they kind of got lucky that the Sixers were just a team waiting to implode when they were down 3-2 to the Sixers, and then they overcame them. But then they should have never been a team that went down 3-0 to the Heat. I mean, they came back, pushed it to a game seven, but they should have won that series, and what we really saw was their fourth quarter defense was just not good. Um, Jimmy Butler was just owning them those first two games in Boston. The Celtics had double-digit leads both of those games, and then Jimmy Butler just took over. They didn't have the defense now. And then they ultimately made adjustments, but we saw in a game seven, they that, that team just maxed out. So I think they, they decided we got to change it up. They sacrificed some depth here for sure, but they may have the best top six with White, Drew, Tatum, Brown, um, KP, and Horford. I do think in the regular season, the Bucks will still be the better team only because they have a little bit better depth because after their top six for the Celtics, you're looking at Peyton Pritchard, Sam Hauser, Luke Cornett, Wenyan Gabriel. Like you, you, They need some of these guys to step up. And I think in the regular season, you know, that's, that's, it is what it is. They, they don't have, they'll pick up a couple of buyout guys maybe as they approach the playoffs. They can't, right? But I think that's... I thought, I thought since their second apron team, they I can't I think those second now. apron rules are going to uh, kick in next offseason. Oh, I see. So I think they'll still they'll still be able to this year. So I think that's why for the playoffs, I think it, I, they, they definitely improved their chances. Provided, like you said, KP stays healthy and that's a major, major if... Because KP just coming off his healthiest year. And Ishan, you obviously have had a lot of experience with KP. But it's all about, can he can he, can he he get through a playoffs? Because the last couple of years, he's been playing on Wizards teams that don't make the playoffs. So it hasn't mattered. But we'll see what happens with KP. So Rohit, are you, you, guys, think it, you think the Celtics are going to be hanging the, what is it, 19th banner this year? <laughs> I, have two, I have two big questions for the Celtics. I mean, I think... Uh, I mean, for one, I mean, I don't follow the, like league pass teams as much as you guys. You guys are much more your depth of knowledge on the whole league is good. I didn't realize that until like reading about it a little bit more that KP was had such a good defensive impact. Like apparently has some statistic as good as Anthony Davis. I forgot which exact statistic it was. Do you know which one it is, Ajay? Like I feel like I think was it his. There's basically he's like he's been um, 
He's a defensive stalwart, which I think why the I didn't realize that KP was that type of player. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it was a uh, it was uh, pick and roll defense. Pick and roll defense. Uh, that sounds right. So I mean, he, when he was guarding the roller, basically. Yeah. yeah. So the roster has all the pieces to win. I mean, I just have a, a couple of I mean, a couple of fundamental questions about the Celtics. Um, I've always I'm not sure. If, Brown and Tatum are still like the duo that like a, a good fit is a duo. I mean, I think they've watching this last playoff run. It's like you know, it's, it'd be like you know, Tatum has a bad game, Brown will take over, vice versa. And it's like you know, like they both. I feel like there's not like a synergy, not like a like a you know like a D Wade Braun type of synergy. There's like I'll take over, you take over, and there's obviously your turn, been my turn a lot. Yeah, a lot of yeah. your turn, my turn, and leads to a lot of frustration in the locker room between you know when I feel like Brown almost is waiting to have these games where like to, to prove his value like oh yeah see Tat- you guys love tatum tatum's a darling and you know you know you're picking you know you're always you guys always talk about tatum i'm kind of definitely the the you know the stepbrother the in stepchild, the, stepchild yeah. exactly <laughs> so it's like i'm surprised that they still accepted both of them i'm like wondering how much longer the celtics will keep keep building around those two as the core because i i have some fundamental questions about whether those two are a great fit you know they're both great individual players but whether on the same team they uh coexist really well so that's do one you think thing. do you think but just to ask a question on that do you think that the fact that for many years you know marcus smart is more of like a combo guard they've never had a true point guard and and you know drew holiday is not the stereotypical like you know the floor general but he's probably better of a floor general than smart do you think that absolutely this year is the test like when you have a guy that's going to command the ball to distribute like you'll have less of the your turn my turn with tatum and you might see like another guy that's really getting them to the ball at the spots that they need rather than just like this hammering the ball on the ground and taking turns I agree. No, I, that's exactly what I think. I think that's what the Celtics are trying to test that experiment with Drew Holiday. I think he's a great fit. I, I think, I personally think Drew Holiday has a much better fit. Again, I think I also have my opinions about Marcus Smart, and I think he has his moments where he really shows up. But also, like sometimes you're like, what the hell is Marcus Smart doing? Like, sometimes, <laughs> he's sometimes so, he's like, just like the, he's, he's like, so, like, he's like so Draymond Green a little bit. Like sometimes, like what are you doing? Like it's like, but sometimes yeah. he does bring that X factor, that energy, that you know, that that this team kind of needs. So I mean, and, and Celtics fans love Marcus Smart. I mean, but watching him as a, as like as an outsider, I'm like, uh, I'm sometimes like, but Marcus Smart, I'm, I like scratch my head. So that's one thing. Smart Drew Holiday has so many, so many. No, 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 no. Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> exactly. So Drew Holiday may smooth some of that stuff out while being a, a defensive stalwart. So that's one thing. But the biggest question mark of, of all of them, regardless of the roster, is Joe, Joe Mazzula. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, like, oh, yeah. With this new we, roster, with all of these guys, and you know, with these different pieces, with such high expectations. We didn't get a great showing from him last playoffs, we, and I we think we didn't even get into Joe, Joe Maz. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, the <laughs> that's the X factor more than any of these players. How can he get them to coexist? And the fact that the I'm shocked that the Celtics kept him beyond this last postseason. I'm like, I thought he was just like kind of morale guy, you know, want to keep the locker room together, you know, keep a guy internally, you know, keep make this make it through this run. And I, I mean, I, I listened to Bill Simmons a lot about this, and it's like, you know, he said that like if, if they got swept, I think he wouldn't have stayed. But the fact that they oh, went to yeah. seven. It's like they yeah, they they kept him on, job, yeah. but I feel like that's if anything if I could pick an Achilles heel for the Celtics team, it would have to be is can just Joe Mazzulla coach this team to be be at their full potential with all these new pieces and different expectations. That's my and, uh, question mark. Yeah, and uh, can can Jalen Brown go left now? Exactly. No, so those no. two, those, <laughs> that's not going to change. So we'll see. That's the Celtics preview, I mean, in my that was opinion. Comical in Game Seven, the Bucks have won yeah. a chip before. Dame, you know, has shown up in clutch moments. But I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm still like the Celtics. I think have a deep, 
maybe a better roster, but have some question marks on the fit and the coaching side. This, the, the Bucks have been there before, um, and now they have, you know, like one of the top players but in the league. I, th- I think they also have a coaching concern right now that you bring it up. They have a first-time coach, Adrian Griffin. Mm-hmm. We don't know anything about him. He's never been a head coach, mm-hmm. and now he gets this team with Dame and Giannis and Middleton, like huge expectations. They, I mean, they're expected to win the chip. Um, as much as Giannis can say that even if you don't win the chip, it's okay mm-hmm. and that it's not a failure, I think it, it should be considered a failure, right? I, I, uh, that was one of that, that never made sense to me last year uh, when he like asked the reporter, like, if you don't get promoted every year, is that a failure? Like, I think it's that's just not that was a bad comparison on his part, and I think it was just with the frustration. But I, I think, Nishan, one other thing we're seeing with these teams now is like you brought it up the second apron it's almost like this uh grim reaper that's coming that next year where all these teams that are way over the cap um the penalties are going to be super strict they can't aggregate salaries in trades they can't buy sign buyout guys um i think the other thing was their first round pick goes to the back end of the draft um on certain years that's after so i think like almost, two out of three years or three out of five years it, like exactly that. yeah it almost seems like the Suns, um, who else? Like the Bucks, the Celtics. These teams are basically saying, we know we're going to be in it, but we can't avoid it. Let's just maximize whatever we can from this season, right? Because I, I think we're going to see us unprecedented amount of superstar movement or just player movement once the second apron hits because of the, how harsh the penalties are. But that almost seems like what the Celtics are doing here. Because, I mean, if you look at Drew's going to get an extension, KP got paid, Jalen got paid, uh, he's going to have the highest contract that's going to kick in next year, then Jason Tatum's going to sign even a richer contract. Derek White's going to get a new one. He's he's extension eligible. Yeah, yeah. So I think, Roth, like you were saying, like this team is kind of just saying we're going to go in now. And maybe Jason and Jalen aren't of, of the perfect fit. Like, they're maybe not Jordan and Pippen. But we, we have to stay with it now. If you don't win... They're going to, I mean, they could always trade one of those guys and get tremendous value, right? Like <laughs> the, the hunger for stars who are in their the wings like them, who are in their prime, Celtics would get tremendous value if they ever wanted to do one of, move one of them. And I think that's why they're okay giving up picks in the future because they know that if they were to trade one of those guys, they would recoup that value. Yeah, I think, I think for me, I, like I, the big thing is that we're coming to this crossroads and I, I this is something I've been thinking about all day today is we're coming to this crossroads of player empowerment superstars getting paid a lot of money with this crossroads of like so you know just to talk about player empowerment it used to be like players when they're free agents get to go wherever they want then it was like asking out with one year left on your contract while you were expiring then we got to like two years I think AD was like around two years left on his contract and now we have someone like Dame who had like four years left on his contract like it's becoming kind of ridiculous <laughs> Or when KD asked that last 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 offseason, exactly, just signed an extension, <laughs> and and um, and then on the other end of it, you know, we're getting um, this dichotomy of players. You know, we used to have this very. I think there was a really nice graphic that came out about the smattering of like, there's essentially no middle class in the NBA anymore. You're either the upper class where you're making like thirty plus million, or you're a minimum wage, you know, you're a minimum minimum salary guy, or like you know yeah, some, exactly. something like that. And so I think we're going to get to this really big crossroads where like these things can't coexist. The second apron can't coexist with player empowerment, 
which can't exist with like these contracts that are getting really really big something's gonna have to give and it's interesting because or, or some yeah someone's about players are about to have reality checks like players who thought they were max players are not gonna get they, it the teams just are gonna be like we can't give you the max when we already gave uh like the, i think the timberwolves is gonna be a fascinating example because anthony edwards just got the max and they unfortunately made the tr- mistake of trading for gobert yeah who's on a like uh max. high salary they yeah. already have towns on a max and they still have to pay McDaniels. Like, I think they're a fascinating example because for a team, I don't think they're going to sniff the NBA Finals in the West. They may, they'll make the playoffs. They're not going to... But can you afford to, like, be in the second apron and have a team like them, you know? I think that's going to be a fascinating example. But there's going to be many more teams like that. And teams' windows are really shrunk down now, right? Like, when you have all these big contracts, like, to me, realistically, like, the Celtics have two years. If they can't win it in these next two years, they're going to have yeah. to let somebody go. Because in two years, Jalen and Jason will both be on their new deals. And that's going to be, I think, close to like 70% of the cap. Like, because they're each going to be like 35% Supermax players. Right. So, what do you, what do you, how are you supposed to build the rest of your team out like that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Oh, like, Ro- Rohit, like, you were, you were in the era, you know, you like the era of the three superstars on one team. I don't think we're going to get that anymore. I, I think it's f- fiscally impossible to get three supers, three true superstars, yeah. someone like, Bosch and Wade and LeBron and so you're gonna see these two superstar teams which we're already seeing but like are you worried about like the next generation of players to like get dynasties because like now it's hard to do that because you know t- players are gonna have to move are you worried about that so I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll clarify that point I don't think the three superstar thing was more like that was that existed long in the NBA before I got. I, I started watching basketball. It existed with the Lakers and Celtics, and the you know with, with, when they used to compete. The point is, it's like it's more player driven to make three a three superstar team rather than teams making a three Fair superstar enough. team. I'm fine with. Yeah. I, I, I've actually really enjoyed the last few playoffs. To be honest with the, you know, there's been relatively more parity in the NBA. You know, it's like and you don't need three superstars on your team. I'm fine with that. I think it's good for the league. I just like the fact that you know players can dictate. You know, where they want to go and put pressure on, you know, management to kind of put a competitive team around them. You know, at the time that LeBron formed the Heat, yeah, he needed to beat the Celtics who were like, you know, had, you know, Paul Pierce, KG and Ray Allen. Um, but if the, if that's kind of even across the board, I think that's people, people don't need to go to a team and form a super team with three superstars. And that's, that's good for the league. I don't think that's, that's a bad thing necessarily. Do you think like, uh, going into, do you think it's disingenuous for players to sign a contract? And then immediately ask out. We've seen it twice, essentially twice now in the last two years. And do you think like that's pushing it too much? Or do you still feel like players deserve that right to do that? They can get their bag and still get what they want. Or do you think like, you know, actually three times, Deshaun, you you forgot uh, Ben Simmons. (laughs) Well, he just, he just sat there. He didn't really play. (laughs) No, I think it's, it might have gone a little, it might have gone a little bit too far. I think like, yeah, lately it's been like, you know, the players asking out. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm happy to admit that it might be a little bit too far, but all this stuff, like uh, the pendulum swings back and forth. I think the pendulum's definitely swung very far in the player empowerment direction when it was very entrenched in the, you know, like management, you know, teams having power. You stay with one team and you're, they kind of dictate your fortune for your entire career. And, you know, I think fans like me who are in the who kind of like this player empowerment should be fine with you know players sticking it out and you know the the understand the value of build, team building and keeping one team together i'm really curious to see teams like you know denver if whether they're able to sustain multiple championship runs with you know what two superstars and a and a and a, and a very deep roster whether they're going to compete better with that continuity compared to you know some of these teams that 
have a, a like multiple yeah. superstars and, and less depth. They're another fascinating example because I think Jamal Murray's up for an extension, but then well, I think you know the X factor there is MPJ mm-hmm. uh, because he's on a max contract, but is he going to become that type of player who's like I want a chip now, like I want a bigger role, like I, that's going to be a fascinating story. I think. You know, we're, we're going to do a Western Conference preview soon, so I don't want to get give up on like to give out <laughs> too many takes um, before that pod. But I mean, it's it's just going to be a fascinating season just because of the number of teams that are all in. I still can't wait to see what's going to happen with the Sixers, just purely from uh, a drama standpoint and for entertainment, because Harden's going to show up to training camp tomorrow. And uh, apparently he wants to make it super uncomfortable that the team has to trade him. So I can't wait to see what kind of antics he does this time. Um, what's going to happen with Miami? I mean, media day was exciting yesterday. But uh, before we end this pod, I, and, you know, Rohit, I didn't prep you for this, but we, we haven't had you on the pod for a long, long time. And I think you're almost kind of like the resident uh, LeBron uh, expert uh, for this for this pod. Mm-hmm. And I think we've always talked about this, right? Like we're not, not doing the Lakers preview yet, but... In the sense that you're the LeBron fan that adopted the Lakers, whereas like I'm like the Lakers fan that that's adopted the uh, that's adopted LeBron. You were at the game where he broke the scoring record, um, and can you just tell our listeners about how it was to be at that game? And did you feel like LA has truly adopted LeBron now? That was a great question. I mean, I think uh, I talked to you guys a lot about, you know, should I get the tickets? How should I go? And I like, Michelle, I, I, really pushed you to go. <laughs> yeah, I got very fortunate. I think, I mean, my personal experience with that, I mean, I think it was kind of like a spiritual experience for me. I got like, I think it was like for being a, a LeBron fan for my entire life, whether I've been called out for it or called a front runner or whatever, that's fine. Uh, but like, you know, I think it was like the reward from the universe for like supporting him through thick and thin. And that was the vibe in the arena that day. It was just... People who genuinely were happy for LeBron achieving this milestone and people who really cared about him, including like you know, members of the media, his family, close friends. And then the fans that showed up there were the fans that, you know, wanted to see him break the record and really cared about it. That's the vibe I got over there. And, you know, I think there's a good contingency of them in L.A. I mean, L.A. is big enough population wise. It's going to have, you know, in the Venn diagram of Lakers fans, it's going to have your diehard Kobe <laughs> fans. Your, you know, the person I went to the game with was a. Uh, uh, you know, Lakers fan from like, you know, when he grew up in LA and he's like a piece of doctor who's been here for a long time and he's a huge Magic Johnson fan, thinks Magic is the goat. And, you know, he was talking about all this stuff. But, you know, I think um, there's there's every there's like every type of Lakers fan. Uh, but everyone appreciated that, you know, that, that achievement and that accomplishment. I think, um, you know, winning the, winning the bubble chip was a, a huge accomplishment, whether some people call it a Mickey Mouse chip or not. But this, having, <laughs> having I think LeBron, Skin. LeBron definitely, I think, whether LeBron says it or not, I think he definitely wanted to come to the Lakers for that piece of NBA history. And he knows the history of the Lakers. And I think he, whether he admits it, he probably thought he may cross his record at some point when he signed the contract with LA and I think he wanted to go to a franchise where some of these you know these achievements these longevity achievements will look even more special the fact that he's done them on the Lakers which already has a storied history so it was special I mean I think I really felt the history in that room felt like it was special they stopped the game Kareem came up there um, I was actually I actually watched winning time I watched the second season I'm kind of sad that it just ended so abruptly because HBO, HBO yeah. ran out of funding but at the end of that they mentioned you know the all the Laker all the Laker history that happens is magic and cream and they mentioned february 7th 2023 and lebron crossing it so it's a special piece of history and i i mean i i had the time of my life there and it was one of the most memorable sports nights of my life and before yeah, I mean, the day after your birthday too <laughs> i i think i think we would be uh because we're in the off season 
and uh, we have probably the two biggest Lakers fans, well, LeBron slash Lakers fans that I know now. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's more and more chattering about are we getting to the end of LeBron's career? He, you know, he had a big life experience this this off season. Maybe changed his values in terms of playing versus spending time with his family. Do you guys think that there's a chance that this is LeBron's last season, or do we are, are we really not on that boat? Especially if Bronny ends up being a couple of years away from you know making it to the NBA. We all thought he would be one and done, but if he's going to take some time to rehab before he gets back to USC and plays, it might be another year before he makes it to the NBA, uh, or or maybe even maybe maybe he doesn't ever make it to the NBA. And so the question is, are we are is there going to be a time in the year if LeBron continues to sustain soft tissue injuries? And or things happen in the family that we're this might be this might be the swan song and he announces it midway through the year and gets like you know the the the, the trophy case. Do you guys think that that's possibility? I I actually am leaning towards that actually. Surprisingly, I think this may I, I'm kind of my gut tells me that this is poss- probably LeBron's last season. I just think Bronny's health is one thing. I I think even if Bronny goes goes to the NBA, I don't know if he's going to be a one and done in college. I just don't know whether his development's going to be enough. I don't know if he can wait for Bronny and Bryce, even though he wants to do that piece of it. But like you said, Nishan, I think this experience with uh, Bronny and the you know the cardiac arrest, you know, I think he he those, those same expectations as as nice as they would be to happen. I mean, I think he realizes that there's more to it than just you know setting out this vision and you know making sure that Bronny's healthy. He's in a position to support them and keep playing if at a high level if he needs to be. But I think he'll truly assess the season, see how the season goes. I think if it's like he plays really well, Lakers, you know, like there's a lot left in the tank, which is what he's saying in the preseason. He'll kind of, uh, you know, he'll, he'll kind of go in and assess it based on how the year goes and how Bronny progresses through the year. But I think there's a real chance this could be his last year just because... Uh, I talked to Ajay about this and not on this pod, but I think he... I started to see LeBron really aged this past postseason with the you know that the that watershed moment for me was the the missed fast break dunk in the Denver series you know the reverse game two that's, yeah that's just like that was a, that was a that was kind of the turning point of the series and I feel like that was like oh man LeBron is is in, is in year 20 going on year 21 and it's like he can't keep doing this forever he has the most miles on his body of any player in NBA history and I think yeah that's gonna it's gonna play a factor on things and I mean this season the roster is a little bit deeper maybe there's you know there there is more of a chance for him to preserve his body for the postseason but I think there's a 60-65% chance this could be his last season yeah I mean I think same Any anytime you start talking about retirement it's almost like one of those things where because till till that press end of last year press conference we never even heard LeBron ever like even discuss retirement right and the moment I think that becomes a topic, you know it's on his head. He's thinking about it. And I think it's all going to come down to how tiresome this season is, how the season goes, like you said, Deshaun, his injuries um, and how long it takes for him to recover from them. What is his family situation? But I think there, there's definitely a huge possibility that if they lose in the semi East, uh, Western Conference semis or earlier, um, that it may just be time for him to call it quits because he's coming up on a year where he has a player option, but this could be his last. Uh, he could just decline the player option, retire, but it, his contract's coming up. And, you know, if the team is like kind of maxing out with, we you know how good Denver is, uh, that this this could be it for the, uh, for the for the Lakers. And it's kind of crazy to think about, right? I mean... We were in the sixth grade when LeBron was drafted in 2003 because I think we were all like the same year growing up. Um, and here we are like in our 30s and LeBron's like still going at it. 
um, and competing against these youngins who were born. Some of them, like when he entered the league, <laughs> like the year he entered was when some of these players drafted now were born, which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, year 21, I think at that point, retirement's always, always a possibility. My take is that, you know, LeBron is not going to go out. You know, he's this guy who's built a, you know, Players Tribune. He has his multimedia company. I just don't see LeBron going out at the end of a season. Like, I don't see him deciding that he's retiring because they had a bad playoff run. I think this is going to be something that he's going to... He's too much of a businessman to not make this like a season-long documentary video and it might happen in the background we might not know about it but like there might be something already happening in the background but like i just don't see lebron going out without um without without people knowing earlier which is why i'm a little bit worried that if the lakers get off to a rocky start or if lebron has an early season injury or ad has an early season season injury he might announce midway through the season i think dirk did something like that he announced like halfway through the season kobe did that too yeah i think yeah. it's gonna be yeah. mid-season if we announce it i think he's gonna he's gonna kind of play it by year and see how the year goes but yeah i agree it's not gonna be at the beginning of the season but some point in the middle of the season because yeah that denver series I, I could see it in his like the in the body language in the press conference and just the way it went and i i mean it's it's a tough league to keep competing in at that level the west and the west is competitive the east has a lot there's a lot of talent in the league so i mean to keep playing at the level that he is and keep do, keep his body up and up in, in shape i think he's already gotten the accolades right he's crossed the scoring record there's nothing left for him to prove he's gotten all the big records now including since he got the scoring one it's like what is there left for him to play for it's just his competitive will and waiting for his sons but again with Bronny's health issue I think that that really put me on the side of he may not wait for Bronny to come because I feel like in some ways that might put more pressure on Bronny than he needs to put and I feel like that he's not going to use that as the factor anymore I feel like that's probably something that he's changed internally that's just my gut so I think we're yeah. telling all of our listeners to go out to the Lakers game if there's one near you because this might be the last time we're going to be <laughs> yes. able to appreciate soak up, LeBron. Soak up LeBron and enjoy this year. I mean, you don't know if it's his last. It could may not be his last, but very well could be. Also, wrote you know, one last thing, and this is not to uh, you know shit on anyone, but when he said that was a spiritual experience for the for that Lakers game, I thought it was also because that was the last game that Westbrook played as a Laker. So, <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it was like yeah, they still lost that game badly. That piece is fine. I, I, I think that's the thing that goes missed. Like LeBron broke the scoring record, but we lost to the Thunder. We were six games below 500 at that point, and we thought it was a lost season. But then they finally traded Westbrook, got some pieces back, and. Uh, Obviously, we made that run, but you know, I think that's the one thing that goes missed with that game. That was the last game that team played as a as a broken franchise. <laughs> but man, this is good, Rohit. Good to have you on the pod after a long time um, to get your takes. And can't wait for the season to start. I mean, I think our first practice, Lakers practice, was today. I think preseason starting next week. It's going to be a good ride. All right, good catching up, guys. Yeah, good one. Until next time. I want to give a shout out to our producer, Sandeep. Without him, this podcast would not be possible. If you want to get the latest news on the podcast and to support us, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BSJPod. You can also find all our episodes uploaded onto our website at www.bsjpod.com. Thanks for tuning in.